Well, good morning, Neighborhood Church. My name is Jen Ashby. I'm on the staff here, and you are at Neighborhood Church on a Global Encounters Weekend. This is something that we do twice a year. It's a special missions emphasis. A big thanks to all of you who came out last night for our Feast of Nations. First time we've had a Feast of Nations since before COVID. It was great to be together, so thank you. This morning, we have the privilege of sharing with you a bit about the mission trip that a few of us just returned from to France. And frankly, I'm feeling really inadequate to give it justice. (laughs) I'm feeling really inadequate uh, to accurately communicate to you uh, the way that God is at work in France. So I'm trusting that God's going to impress something on your heart, and you're just going to have to come with us on the next trip and see it for yourself. So... Our church began a partnership with the Christian Missionary Alliance work in France in 2018, in part because of our connection with Dan and Lisa Lawrence. Dan served at First Alliance Church in Silver Spring for 10 years before he and Lisa went overseas as international workers to Paris with the Alliance. And they've been here several times, some of you know them. Our intention was to send another team in 2020, but we got coroned and had to cancel that trip uh, that was scheduled for April. So this is your 2022 mission trip team to France. This is a great picture that Ted shared with me. Um, This was a great night that we had together out uh, for dinner at a creperie. So this is your team. From the left is Ted, and then Joseph, and then Tim, and then myself, Jen, and then Luz, and then Ted's wife, I, who some of you know as Sue. She had to work today, but she was here last night. I want to say thank you for sending this team. Thank you for your financial support, for your prayer support. I was on a learning curve with leading a trip like this. I've been on these kinds of trips, but I'd never led one before. But it was a great joy and privilege to lead this team. And it encouraged me so much the way that every single one of them interacted with the people that we met and the ways that they were really considerate of each other made it really um, a joy to be part of. I'm also super grateful to God for his faithfulness, his protection, and his leading. We did encounter uh, some significant challenges and unknowns (laughs) um, that we weren't expecting, but God was very, very faithful to us. What did we do on a trip to France? Well, we did a lot of listening, a lot of learning, and we did a lot of praying. In the Alliance, we have this value of prayer, and we say prayer is actually the primary work of God's people. Not an afterthought or a side uh, occupation, but it's actually the primary work. So much of what we long to see, both here and overseas, are things that we simply cannot force or manufacture only by the intervention of God. And in this profound mystery, he invites us to partner with him in what he's doing. We also went with a real heart to encourage all of our missionaries. I'm gonna use the word workers today. We went with a heart to encourage our workers. Uh, And I think that we did. I trust that we did. (laughs) So what did we do? We were in primarily the city of Toulouse, France, where we rode a lot of public transportation. And we went to the boulangerie every morning to get breakfast. And we got oriented to the city of Toulouse. And we did eat well. I'm not going to lie. We ate well on this trip. Uh, We learned early in our time in France that French people apparently are not big into celebrations. For example, 
when you're done with high school, there is no ceremony, let alone graduation party. You just stop going. That's how that works. So when we learned that, Ted asked, so what do French people celebrate? And immediately the answer was food. (laughs) French people celebrate food. And when you gather and you've brought food or wine, there's always a story behind what you brought. So a big thanks to one of our team members, Luz, who organized some French-themed snacks for you today so that you could have the whole experience. Our presentation is multisensory. You may be thinking, why would we have a partnership with work in France? Why would we send missionaries to France? Or why would we send financial support to France? Well, while France does have a very rich Christian history, the current state of things in France is what we would call post-Christian. Here are a few facts that are gleaned from a website I recommend called impactfrance.org. Currently, 58% of the country is atheist, agnostic, or deist, with 21% being convinced atheists. 32% of the population say they are Catholic, yet only 7% go to Mass once a month, not week, month. 69% of the population do not have a Bible. 8.8% of the French are Muslim and represent the largest Muslim population of Europe. 22% or 15 million people have seen or regularly see a medium or fortune teller. There are 100,000 mediums in France and about 2,500 pastors. That's 40 mediums for every one pastor. The French spend about 40 billion euro every year on spiritism. We saw a lot of beautiful church buildings and most of the time when we asked the question, are worship services happening here? Is there an active congregation? Most of the time, the answer was no. And that made a strong impression on Trudy. She'd like to tell you a little more. We saw several beautiful, glorious structures built to glorify God as an orientation to the city of Toulouse, and also learned a little bit about French history. Um, Since the days of conversion of the king of France, Clovis I, Christianity in 508 AD, Roman Catholicism has been the state religion of France. And so the state or the monarchy or the king in power helped fund the construction of buildings. After the French Revolution, there was a brief separation of church and state in 1795, but that was ended when Napoleon uh, came on the scene and reestablished the Catholic Church as the state religion in 1801. In the late 1800s, France began separation of church and state. It, It started gradually as they nationalized schools, um, They removed priests from administrative committees of hospitals and boards of charity. And in 1880, they started substituting lay women for nuns in the hospitals and having the secular schools. In 1905, they passed an official law that separated church and state. But later, in the 1920s, the state recognized that 
these organized religion groups were important to France, and they amended some laws. The interesting fact is that all the churches in that were built before 1905, which were the ones that we visited, are publicly owned by the state of France. And that's kind of good because there are a lot of maintenance needs for these buildings. We walked through them and saw how they were built to glorify God, to educate people through written, educate people about what was written in scripture through paintings, sculptures, stained glass windows. Remember that most of the people at the times when this, these buildings were built, which is from basically from 500 until today, most people did not have access to the written word, and if, even if they did, they didn't know how to read. These sites were, even, were built actually on even older churches. My heart was touched by the stories behind those people that loved and lived for Jesus behind, that inspired the cathedrals. Um, one, the large picture that is on your left, is the Cathedral saint Etienne de Toulouse. And this was built on top of the foundations of a chapel that was built in the third century for St. Serin. He came as a missionary or an international worker to reach out to the Gauls that lived in France. They worshipped pagans. And the pagans didn't like what the impact of St. Serin on them and the people around him, and the, so they killed him. This church is beautiful, and it has a, a wonderful set of bells, and I just pray that the beautiful bells continue to ring and remind the people that God is with us always. This church was, is also part of a pilgrimage that many people make to follow the steps of the Apostle James, who went to the Iberian Peninsula, that's Spain and France, to tell people about Jesus. We went to another church, and it, has, it had a choir practicing, so we knew it was an active church. Another one in Marseille um, worked with our partner in that area, and he was friends with the priest, and the priest, um, just like our church, had a heart filled with Jesus, and he's working to reach out to the poor and the immigrants of the city. But seeing some of these churches that didn't have services reminded me of some of the churches that I've learned in my new area of Baltimore. There are some beautiful uh, structures in, in Baltimore, but they do not have congregations that can help maintain them, and they're selling them. And that even brought me back to some of our empty alliance churches that I've seen over the years, where people have stopped gathering. And I wondered, have we 
have I lost a passion for reaching out to the lost to fill these churches? Have we lost our sense of gathering? As believers and followers of Jesus, we are exhorted to gather together, to encourage one another, to sing songs, well, maybe not me, and to read from God's word, which builds us up, gives us a good foundation to go out into the world and reflect Jesus to those we impact. Now more than ever, following this pandemic, we need to gather in churches to regroup, to fortify ourselves in God's word so that we can be a light to the world. We have a lot to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters who are doing ministry in France. They're doing ministry in an area that is considered post-Christian. Our area is on a trajectory, that direction. They're in an area that is increasingly multi-ethnic and multicultural. Does that sound familiar at all? We are in that kind of context as well, and it's a tremendous opportunity, but it also means we have to keep learning about how God wants to work in that kind of context. So while we were in Toulouse, we interacted with three Christian and Missionary Alliance churches. One was Toulouse International Church, which they refer to as Tick. It grows on you. Okay, Tick. So for France, this is a big church. This is average attendance around 80 to 100 people. They do services in English with simultaneous in-ear French translation. They have a thriving children's ministry. Their pastor just resigned and moved back to the United States. So you can be praying for them. In general, both uh, vocational pastoral leadership as well as lay volunteer leadership is a major need in France. Uh, so that's something that you're going to hear me say over and over this morning. There is a bit of a leadership vacuum and it's some of what our workers are involved in, in terms of leadership development. Uh, we worshiped at this church. We went to Bible study midweek at this church. We helped with a work project. They have, um, they own an extra space in this little business strip that they're asking the Lord how he would have them use that for outreach and ministry in their city. Really exciting. We got to meet several people from this church and hear their story. One of them was Bill. Uh, Bill is a character and he is from the UK. Uh, he is on your left and uh, he was an alcoholic, uh, has been in prison a couple of times and in the midst of a serious marital crisis, he cried out to God along the lines of, if you're real, relieve me of this pain. God met him in a phenomenal way. And while that marriage didn't last, uh, Bill's life has been absolutely transformed. Uh, as he has said yes to Jesus, he started attending uh, Tick. Uh, he met his new bride, who you see in this picture at Tick. And he is now gathering a team of people around him to begin a Celebrate Recovery ministry. Some of you may be familiar with that. It exists in our area as well. It's basically a biblically-based 12-step program to help people overcome addictions and other hurdles. So this is like a quintessential example of how God uses somebody's story, redeems their story, um, and begins to make significant impact through that very thing that once held them in bondage and darkness. Another person we met at this church is Owen, and he's around the table with us on the right. 
Owen's another character, I'd say. Also originally from the UK, from Ireland. He came to faith when a door-to-door evangelist from Texas showed up at his door in his village in Ireland and knocked and shared the gospel with him. And that's how he came to faith. Uh, Had a career in business, is now living in France with his French wife. He is an elder at this church. He also works with a bigger organization called Alliance World Fellowship. So while the Christian Missionary Alliance started in the United States, the goal is always to send missionaries to a place to plant churches that ultimately can become self-leading, self-sustaining, and self-multiplying. And then those national churches are connected through this bigger organization called Alliance World Fellowship that Trudy will tell you a little more about. The fellowship is, includes over 88 countries. I, was, I had heard about the World Alliance, but it really didn't hit me until I saw the um, slides that were shown that showed how many places are covered. Um, there are five regions, um, and good news If you're a participant in this church, you're a member of the Alliance World Fellowship. Um, There are um, 22,000 churches in the Alliance World Fellowship. Um, And as Jen said, we met Owen, who um, has retired and is now on mission for the Alliance World Fellowship as a missions mobilizer. He works um, and promotes international workers going out to tell others about Jesus. Whether they're full-time workers or whether they're business professionals, similar to Jen and Jim Forrest, who are in South Africa that we support here at Neighborhood Church. Sorry. Um, They also work with uh, people groups who may be displaced by political upheaval or by wars in their home country. And Owen and many members of, the, uh, of TIC have an outreach ministry, whether they're a professional business person or whether they're a volunteer um, and They've been working with immigrants from Syria um, or people that have migrated from Syria, from the Middle East, from Lebanon, and now they're um, preparing to work with the Ukrainian um, waves that are coming over to um, Europe from the Ukraine. Thanks, Trudy. Couple more Alliance churches in Toulouse, both of them uh, a little smaller, a little more typical size for a French church, more in the 30 to 50 attendance range. One is Epi. We lost our we lost our back screen. There we go. We lost our monitor in the back. So if you see me turning, that is why. Uh, this is a church that is also fairly diverse, but does have their services in French. Their pastor recently announced his resignation as well. So they're going to be uh, entering a season of um, 
seeking the Lord about what's next for them. We went to a worship night at this church and the joy of the Lord was in that place. Uh, Some attended this church on Sunday as well and we helped with a work project there. Uh, One of the couples connected with this church, super inspiring, the guy with the bike there, his name is Ian. Ian and Annie actually used to live here. They lived uh, right inside the DC border, went to Washington International Church, one of our sister churches. And when they, deci- when they retired, they decided, we're going to go retire somewhere where there's not a lot of gospel access. And so they're not sent as missionaries by any sort of like missionary sending organization. They just retired to France <laughs> to be in France and to live as a Christ follower there. And they're serving in the church. Uh, they're serving in the community at the Oasis Center. I'm getting ready to tell you about just really inspiring people. A third Alliance Church in Toulouse is a place we're just referring to as Azadine's Church. So that's the pastor, Azadine, you see there. Azadine is originally from Algeria. He was a heroin addict and dealer and tried everything he knew uh, to try to get free from addiction, including contacting his imam. Couldn't get free. And so at a time of desperation, uh, basically cried out to God and said, please help me. God intervened in a tremendous and supernatural way, transformed his life, and now he is a bivocational pastor, meaning he has two jobs at this church, which is in an Arab neighborhood between two mosques. He has a ministry still among heroin addicts and dealers. Some of them have come to faith. Uh, He recently, oh, I don't know how recently, but in the past, he led his boss at his other job to Jesus. Um, in France, so for those of us who are, think we can't share at work, well, yeah, Azadine might have something to say about that. Um, really powerful and exciting. So we did a prayer walk in this neighborhood and a couple of us also worshiped there. They're praying to be able to buy the this, this space that they're renting, which would help them financially as well as kind of secure their presence in that neighborhood. I want to tell you next about the Oasis Center, which is owned by the French Alliance and people from these churches as well as other churches work together to serve at this community center that is in a lower economic uh, neighborhood. Out of this center, they're doing a variety of types of outreach. We participated in a stretch class. You can see us there. Uh, As well as an English group. Uh, We also participated in another English group uh, at another location and made some really neat connections that Ted will tell you about. Sometimes random conversations turn into divine appointments, and that's the reason for conversational English programs. It allows our international uh, international workers to meet people, to develop relationships with them, and then begin conversations with them, asking them about where they are in their spiritual journey. I had the privilege of meeting just three individuals as part of the Conversational English program while we were in uh, Toulouse and Marseille. The first person that I met is a Japanese woman by the name of Yumiko-san. If you know anything about my wife and our family, my wife is Japanese. We used to raise guide dogs for the blind, and so what's the chance of meeting a Japanese person raising guide dogs for the blind in Toulouse, France? (laughs) 
We started the conversational English program. In walks this lady with a black lab, and I said, this is my person. <laughs> so we started a relationship. We exchanged emails. She invited us to their home. While we were in France, we were not able to do that, but she sent my wife a follow-up email in Japanese saying, I think that somehow we will meet each other again soon. So you can be praying for Yumiko-san. The second individual I had a chance to meet was a Ukrainian woman by the name of Tamara. She had just fled the Ukraine and had arrived in Toulouse the day before. She had really only 60 minutes to flee the country. Um, she was from the city of uh, Mykolaiv. You may have seen that in the news recently. That is a, a big Black Sea port for Ukraine. It's where in the former Soviet Union days and now in, in Russia where all of the Russian aircraft carriers are built. But she left in such a hurry, she forgot her socks and her t-shirts. Again, she just had 60 minutes to make that decision to leave. When she arrived there, she just said, I think God was protecting me, and I think God helped me to escape. And I said, yes, he certainly has. And I said, we will promise to pray for you, so you can keep <clears throat> Tamara in your prayers. The third individual I, I had a chance to meet was a young man by the name of David, who was a young embedded systems engineer from Rwanda. Had a great conversation with him. He's hoping to be able to have a business meeting in New York. I said, hey, if you're going to be in New York, why don't you make a trip down to Washington once you're here? It's not that far. We exchanged an email uh, address as well, and there's an opportunity perhaps to, uh, to connect with David if, he, if he's here. But even if we don't personally have that kind of opportunity, it's, it's really an opportunity just for French people and international people there in those cities to meet Jesus followers. And so for our international workers, it's a chance for them to be able to follow up on some of those conversations we've started. When we were in Paris in 2018, we met a guy named Benoit at an English group like this. And this trip, I learned that since 2018, Benoit has said yes to Jesus. He's in the midst of some volunteer ministry training, and he has started an outreach group of his own. It's a French language uh, outreach group for people who want to improve their French. So it's often a long process, but that is the goal and the purpose behind some of these sorts of groups. Our trip was through a part of the alliance called Envision, and our main hosts were Tony and Rainy Roos on the left. They are phenomenal in every way. They've recently been joined by the Wins, Aaron Kelly and Charlie Wynn on the right. They've just been in the country six months, are still in language school. We had a great time having dinner at their home. We also got a chance to meet some alliance, an alliance worker who's involved in straight up church planting. Her name's Brittany and she came down from Bordeaux just to meet with us and share uh, what's happening in this new neighborhood in which she and her husband are seeking to plant a church. They're finishing their first four year term and it is pretty phenomenal the kind of relational traction they're getting already. They're having these gatherings that have already exceeded the capacity for their home. So they're looking for um, a public space uh, to have these gatherings. We want to thank our live stream friends for joining us this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing the last bit of our presentation offline. We would love to have you with us. Uh, you would also get to enjoy snacks if you were here in person. But we're going to sign off because the next bit of our presentation is a bit sensitive.